in order to tap into how to upgrade karma into dharma to me is all about getting in connection with the spirit pretty much by using the vehicle of the body and just putting the mind a little bit aside just the mind is there to execute but the mind is not to figure out hello yogis and thank you for tuning in to another episode of dharma talk I am your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 52. This week, my guest is Andre Ram. Andre Ram is a world-renowned yoga teacher, and not only is he world-renowned, but he's also world-traveled. Andre is someone who has a very clear and intentional idea around how he teaches in different parts of the world. Because he understands that every culture brings its own lens, its own sense of perception into the teachings, and that lends those people to a different way of learning. But ultimately, at the core of his teaching is this idea of connection and getting out of that lens, stepping away from these collective ideologies that we agree to as a society. And in fact, that is something that we talk about in this interview. It comes in toward the end, so make sure you stick around for the whole conversation. In this interview, you're going to hear how Andre approaches teaching in different parts of the world and his techniques for reaching people from different cultural backgrounds and assumptions. He talks about the essence of his own practice, prana nidra, and how it differs from yoga nidra or pranayama. We get into the idea of upgrading karma to dharma through body intuition and physicality. And lastly, we hit on that topic I mentioned earlier. And actually, Andre frames it as a sixth kosha and wraps it up with the role of nature in helping us to find true freedom from ideology. So all of that is coming up very soon. Just stay tuned through these announcements and we'll dive into my interview with Andre Ram. This episode is brought to you in part by Yoga East Austin. I can't tell you all enough how much I'm looking forward to heading back to Austin for five days of rocket yoga with rocket trailblazer David Kyle. The host studio, Yoga East Austin, is tucked into Austin's hip east side, making it convenient for nearby Airbnb rentals, shops, and restaurants galore, all within walking distance of the yoga school. I lived close by during my time in Austin, and some of my favorite things I miss the most, which I'm sure you'll enjoy too, are trying out all the unassuming neighborhood taquerias, taking walks along the banks of Lake Austin, and of course, catching the sun and taking a dip at Barton Springs. Even though the training starts early and ends late each day, you'll still have time to enjoy the tacos and the Austin vibe because David encourages a full two-hour lunch. I hear David himself is an amazing communicator and a fun and dynamic teacher who will keep us thoroughly entertained and engaged throughout the intensive. He's teaching all the classes himself with the assistance of my old buddy and local Ashtanga teacher, Hill Perez. As for the yoga space, Yoga East Austin's vibe is light and natural with floor-to-ceiling storefront windows that span the yoga room. We'll be flooded with natural light and surrounded by green plants and healing crystals. 
Each changing room is equipped with showers and all the amenities, and the staff is well-prepared to make you feel totally at home. To learn more about Yoga East Austin and the Rocket Intensive from April 24th to 28th, be sure to check out yogaeastaustin.com rocket. Even if I don't see you in Austin, perhaps I'll see you at some of the studios where I'm teaching workshops coming up. This weekend, March 23rd and 24th, I'll be at Yoga to the People in New York City. Next weekend, March 30th, I'm teaching a workshop at Three Jewels, also in New York. Then the weekend of April 6th and 7th, Veronica, my wife, and I are headed down to Original Hot Yoga 305 in Miami. And the following weekend, Friday, April 12th through Sunday, April 14th, I'm teaching at Fuel Hot Yoga in Athens, Georgia. If any of those are of interest, please head over to henrywins.com slash events and sign up. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Andre Ram. Andre Ram is a world-renowned yoga master who travels worldwide, sharing his unique yoga approach and making accessible to all the most mystical aspects of the yoga science. He spent over 10 years with Sri Dharma Mitra, from whom he received Acharya initiation in the yoga lineage. Andre, thank you for coming on Dharma Talk today. How are you doing this morning? Hi, Henry. Great to be here. Doing fine. Thank you. Good, good. Um, I was so um, I was so honored to get a chance to to meet you after hearing a lot about you um, from a lot of the teachers that I've studied with around here in New York. Um, not too long ago, I think it was what a month and a half or so ago that you came to New York and I just couldn't help myself but I had to invite you on on Dharma Talk so thanks for agreeing to be here we we always start with the same first question so I'm just going to jump straight into that what does the word Dharma mean to you and what is your Dharma as you understand it today to me Dharma is uh, fulfilling your life by the gift of service a service that it moves beyond individuality and can serve the, the bigger picture. And my dharma, well, pretty much I'll, I'll do it through the yoga practice, uh, assisting the people to self-realize themselves everywhere around the world. That's a, a beautiful and simply put dharma, and I definitely respect that. And I, I noticed in your bio that something that you draw attention to is making accessible to all the mystical aspects of yoga science. What does that mean to you? What, is, what do you mean by the mystical aspects? Well, uh, we're most, more used to uh, get to know the physical aspect of the yoga practice. But um, nevertheless, the ultimate goal of, of the yoga practice is the supreme self-realization, meaning Supreme is not just about the, you know, what, what one do in the lifetime, but also at the end realizing the essence of the self, which is the spirit. And then when we tap into this spiritual world, of course, we tap into a very different world in, 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 
in the sense of uh, the perspective towards time and space. So, of course, these bring um, different experiences. Uh, we can say experiences from out of the world, but in reality, these are experiences from the inner world. So this is what I call, you know, like giving access to the mystical aspect of the yoga science. Mm -hmm. And where are you... Where are you teaching mostly? Um, you know, as you said, making accessible to all. I know that you're currently based in Bogota, Colombia, but um, you came to New York, obviously. Where else are you teaching? Well, I pretty much am uh, right now concentrating in uh, uh, Europe, the U.S., Asia, and South America as well. Um, and then one thing also of making it accessible there are so many cultures, and I think that we're missing the piece of adapting to the yoga science, to the to the to the current life, to the current times. Um, there are so many different cultures that have different perspective, different cognitive structures. Uh, so to me, it's very important that we can not just practice the yoga, but that we can also adapt the yoga to the current time and to each of the cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's this is a really interesting idea. That's that's good. And that's kind of where I was going with where are you teaching? So when you get ready to go to a totally different part of the world that comes with its own cognitive biases and and cultural programming, what do you do to prepare yourself to have the the most impact when you get there and make sure that it's not your message isn't dismissed? Well, we all know that the yoga practice is based in the yamas and niyamas, and the first uh, yama is the ahimsa, right? So we, we think like, you know, it's the nonviolence principle. But in the positive aspect is the practice of compassion. Uh, compassion in the, in, the, in the sense, in the meaning of being able to put yourself into the other, uh, other's mentality, into the other's uh, life view. So pretty much is a, I take my time to meditate a lot. Most of the time nowadays, I'm just going to the same places, so I already know the cultures. But when I'm going into a new place, I really take my time to to kind of. I, I arrive few uh, days before, and I take my first days just you know walking the streets and combining that with the with the meditation, trying to tap into people's mentality. So by the time that I start the the workshops, I can have an idea of the, their own perspective or the specific perspective towards life. Right. That's, uh, that's really cool. Um, so it's not so much about what you do uh, in preparation before you get there. You, you arrive, immerse yourself, and kind of absorb yourself into the mentality of the collective in this place. Yeah, that's correct. Did you... Um, you mentioned meditation, of course. Are there specific things that you do to take notice of the ways that people operate and think in the places where you're teaching? Um, I would say that my main tool, uh, my main vehicle is it's the, it's the body itself. Uh, I have this way of, you know, observing the people and trying to get into their bodies, into the body language, the way they move. So then when I go into the meditation, the actual meditation, then I'll just try to like really use my body as a way to to perceive how others are uh, perceiving the world. So kind of like reading the people with my body by observing their bodies. Uh -huh. Yeah, body language. Yes. Body language is definitely a key into the psyche. Definitely. Andre, how... Let's talk about your personal practice. 
um, you know, you've been practicing for a long time. You spent over 10 years with, with Dharma Mitra. And then, I don't know if you, maybe you can speak on this. Was he your first main teacher or did you have teachers before that? How has your practice evolved over time? Well, I always uh, share with the people that I have the fortune to not having a teacher before I met Dharma. So my first seven years of practice pretty much was self-practice. Uh, and I think that's a, it's a, it's a important tool because at the end, the yoga science is not based on, on knowledge or at least not on academic uh, knowledge. It's based on the practice itself. So when you have the chance to kind of like go blinded into a practice, then you start to uh, access this self-realization that is what the, what the yoga provides, you know, like really figuring out things by your own. So then when I went to Dharma and I spent the 10 years uh, by his, his side, then uh, pretty much it was for him, what I received from him was about reconfirming all these things that I was already processing through my, through my own practice. Um, and then I have the fortune to spend 10 years by his side. So, you know, it's not about the technical aspect, what you learn when you have this chance to share so many years with, with, with your mentor, but it's much more about the daily life, you know, how they, how they face life. I think that yoga and especially this kind of yoga that really try to go into the deepest aspect, the spirit, uh, the spiritual aspect is something that the only way that one can teach and shared is through the living example. So it's not too much what he, what I learned from him by what, by what he says, but it's much more about you know, being able to see, uh, you know, his daily living example and then using him as a reference to also uh, find my own, my own path. So at that time, of course, I was immersed in the practice full on. I was living in the, in the temple with him uh, and then nowadays the, the practice has been changing a lot. Uh, I have now a family, two kids, and people sometimes think that you have, you know, hours of practice. But right now it's just really trying to uh, use any, any time uh, to adapt and to apply the principles regardless of what you're doing. Because you know? as you know, you don't have too much time when you have like a big family. So, yeah, it's, it's very, very different. The practice is much, much based on the essentials, the awareness over the breath and the awareness on how you use the mind. And again, you, in my case, using the body as a way to, to perceive uh, and to communicate to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. That was a, a very rich response. So I just want to kind of break down a few of the things that you said. First of all, um, to the listeners, if you have a self-practice, that is, as, as Andre put it, that's a fortune, that's a blessing, because it gives you the opportunity to discover things for yourself. And then when you go on, if and when you go on to find a teacher that you really trust and respect, you can use those lessons to validate what you've already learned or suspected on your own. Then the next thing that I really liked about what you said was this idea of a teacher really teaching by being a living example of the most essential principles of the yoga practice. It's not always about the technical instructions, maybe for the beginner, that's important. But ultimately, when we're talking about integrating the lessons of yoga into a lifestyle, you have to lead by example as the teacher, or if you're a student looking for a teacher, look for that. And then lastly, um, you, you ended with this idea of 
paring down and getting into the absolute root, the most um, important essences of the practice. So um, to kind of follow that trail a little bit deeper, what has become, you know, with your limited time as a, as a family man, a householder, what has become the number one most or number, the first, the top most priorities of your practice? Well, um, actually, technically, um, kind of like uh, these, uh, you need to adapt my, my practice into the constant service because, you know, when you get into family life, it's kind of like you tap into Dharma in a natural way. And I think, you know, even pe- people that are not yoga practitioners, this is what family brings, you know, it's just like put, put yourself aside and then just start serving all the time. So in order to fulfill that need and also in order to have like a tool to me to be able to stay at the best of my capacity to serve my family among the big community around the world that I served, uh, that kind of like pushed me to develop uh, the most important technique that I, that I, I base my practice nowadays at, which is the prana nidra. In the yoga world, um, people know about the yoga nidra, which is like the deep relaxation, then the nidra, which is what pretty much we do at the end of a class, just the, the, the simple relaxation. But prana nidra is a, a state that is in between these two, and is a, it's a technique that uses the breath pretty much in, in, in four stages, first stage to release, the second stage to rest, the third stage to uh, recharge, and then the fourth stage kind of like to get ready to apply um, this vi- vitality into whatever service you are performing uh, in the world in, in daily life. Uh, so uh, this problem, it is, it's, I think it's kind of like something that is happening in the world. We, we went through the stages or we go through the stages of get, kind of like finding a more active practice. But at the end, we see that the world would need, one of the things that the world need, need the most right now is uh, resting, a proper relaxation. We don't sleep that well at night as we used to. We still have to figure out so much to think about how electromagnetic fields um, have like an impact uh, in, in our system and in our ability to have proper rest during the night, during the uh, sleep night and then um and so then this pranayama is kind of like a tool it takes like 15 minutes and it just really charge you and i think it's very useful so that you don't have to like kind of like to waste too much time and you'll be always ready for the service mm-hmm. yeah that's beautiful and you're absolutely right i i don't know about other parts of the world but that's certainly something that you see in the U.S. and and in big cities like New York, nobody wants to rest. Nobody wants to recharge. Everybody's go 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 all the time, and so focused on being productive that maybe they miss the the forest through the trees. And by mm-hmm. that, I mean that they don't see that missing the resting piece actually sets you up to not be able to be as productive and as service oriented as as you might like to be. Correct. And is this system, is this something of your own creation, the Pranidra, or something you learned from another teacher? Uh, the basics I learned from, of course, from from Dharma. Uh, Dharma is the only teacher that I that I ever uh, had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, of course, you know, there's like you know, like two stages. The first stage is when you are learning, or I mean, in reality, there are four stages. But the first stage when you're learning by your own. The second stage 
when you have like the guidance of your teacher. But the third stage, which is really, really important, that I think is when you kind of like develop mastery over the practice, is when you can combining uh, these uh, prior two stages, you start to go again by your own, and then that enables you to deepen into the aspect that you are more interested at. So to me, it was all about the breath, the pranayama. Uh, so I received the basics of this pranayama uh, technique from, from Dharma. But then after I left him, uh, during the last uh, seven years, I've been really developing and going deeper and deeper in all the uses uh, and the effectivity, the efficiency of this of these pranayama technique. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. I'm, I'm following right along. Um, and, and I also think this ties back to the idea of dharma. You know, if, if we're all, if you could say that everyone's dharma is the same if you're speaking generally, and, and that's to, to serve, right? To contribute something meaningful and helpful to the rest of the world. But if we're here to serve a specific, unique purpose, then ultimately we have to bring the knowledge that we take in from external sources, check it in, validate it with our own internal guideposts, and decide what we want to innovate or what we want to focus on and, and bring to light even more. So um, I love the way that you put that. When you just, what you just said, you know, sometimes people think that, uh, that Dharma is what you do or is related to what you do. And then kind of like people are trying to figure out, okay, you know, like what's my Dharma? Maybe I just have to change my career, whatever. But in reality, Dharma is not about the what, it's much more about the how, you know, it's, it's, how, it's how you face the thing that you're doing, regardless of what you're doing. I mean, we say like this is a world of karma, action, reaction, you know, like for some reason you're living in what you're doing, you're facing what you have to face. But what Dharma is about the how, how you face that, you know, so that it's not just you are facing your karma, you're facing your individual outcome, but that you take that as an opportunity to bring it into a bigger picture and that by doing this and to move from your individual borders, then you're able to kind of like to overcome that karma and bringing that karma into upgrading that karma into the dharma level so it's not about the the what is is about is all about the how whatever you're doing whatever you're doing you have to like keep all always in mind this awareness of how i can do this better and how this thing that i'm doing right now can bring an impact in in the rest of the people around me and in the collective mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so can you give us maybe an example of a time where that concept really hit home for you, where you maybe experienced some karma that, that challenged you and how you reflected upon it to bring it from the individual level into the collective broader level? Well, to tell you the truth, Henry, this is something that is present to me, you know, at any, any, any time in my life, whatever I'm doing, let's say, uh, something that I have to do right now is flying, right? And then we're so worried about like the kind of like uh, the print that we're living in the environment with all this mileage that we put, you know. So then it's like I have to, I try to face this uh, constant traveling and the, the use of the airplanes in a way, you know, I'm always trying to figure out, you know, how can I create uh, Dharma? Because usually if it's something that you are doing, you can figure out, right? But it's something that is just part of the system. As for example, getting into an airplane, you have no way to like go for, from South America and any other way to go from South America to Asia, for Asia, whatever. So you have to get into involved with this system that, you know, you know that is not, is, is harming the, the environment. 
So throughout the, my whole journey, since when I, you know, start packing, uh, trying to pack light, choosing everything that I am taking to the journey, uh, the, the whole interaction with everyone, uh, you know, in the airport, uh, TSA, uh, the different customs that I go, every stage of the traveling, I'm always aware of how can I, you know, make this karma that is harming the world, how can I really make it in a way that it is start to serve, serve the people that interact with me, and even even during the flight, you know, it's it's funny, but I I always uh, share with the students that uh, a, a very important place where you can actually upgrade karma into dharma is even when you go into the restroom, you know, <laughs> it's like what what I am eating, you know, so that I can, you know, like the ways that I'm doing, even the ways that I am putting. Uh, backed into the environment, you know, could be a little bit more clean, you know, so it's even in, in any mm-hmm. stage, you know, uh, so it's funny, but also, yeah, and then when you are in the in the environment, actually, in the, within the aircraft, you know, uh, the way I breathe, trying to perceive, the, you know, that I can create some exchange of oxygen with the others one, you know, it's a, it's a really tough environment, you know, so this is something that with all this constant traveling, this is something that it puts me constantly into seeking for ways of upgrading karma into dharma Mm -hmm. so when it comes to something like air travel or participating in these systems that are necessary to the way that we live our day-to-day lives and and further our careers what have you but there are they have destructive consequences what what goes into like, how do we do that? How do we upgrade karma to dharma? Is it a matter of weighing the pros and cons and deciding if the net is positive, or is it something subtler than that? Well, you know, to me, this goes to the basic of the yoga practice. We all know that kind of like the definition of the yoga practice is to settle the mind into silence in order to access these other states where we can feel more at an at a integral perspective, you know, at a more self-realization so at the end to me one thing that is very important right now to acknowledge is that the mind is is an amazing vehicle is the bridge between the body and the spirit the 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 physical existency and the non-physical existency but uh but is the, the 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 mind is not able to generate you know the tools uh, the the mind has no creative force that's 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 my take what take what has the creative force it is the spirit and the great the greatest vehicle it is the body and the mind is in between these two so in order to tap into how to upgrade karma into dharma to me is all about getting in connection with the spirit pretty much by using the vehicle of the body the senses how you feel in things and just putting the mind a little bit aside just the mind is there to execute but the mind is not to figure out so it's more kind of like trying to tap into a more body intuition uh, in order to access the spirit and then just later on let the mind to execute whatever call you're receiving from this unity between the spirit and the body. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's, a, that's an interesting way to put it, you know, the, that the mind is really just a, a conduit or a bridge between these two, one being the active force and one being the source. Exactly. That's cool. I like that. I think the you know we're suffering nowadays in the world because we're thinking too much, and then we're not living. So it's like that. You know, you you start to think, what? How can I do dharma out of this situation? You know, 
And then I think it's not about thinking, it's about living. And the body is much more closer to this raw experience of, of living. And definitely the spirit is the one that can give you the, the, the whole lecture of the, all, the whole perspective of the, whatever, whatever event you are facing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this reminds me of something that came up during your satsang session here in New York. Um, which was maybe I'll, I'll point to it and maybe you can provide a little bit more context and get into what you were talking about. But someone asked a question about ideologies and how, how difficult it is to get past the societal assumptions that come with wherever we live. And you answered that basically this day and age in, in modern civilization we have the five traditional koshas or sheaths that are discussed in in the sutras and 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 in traditional texts but today we actually have a sixth kosha which is this civilization that we've built and agreed to collectively do you see that as being a symptom of this overthinking that you just mentioned yeah definitely you know everything nowadays is based on on rationality and then, of course, it's based on uh, on the the imposition of certain ideologies that, of course, you know, like at the beginning, you don't see it as an imposition. But at the end, we're trained, we're educated to embrace these ideologies since when we were kids and kind of like we don't even have the chance to question these things, regardless in which part of the world you're living. You know, we might think that this happened just in the communist uh, side of the world, you know. But also here, you know, like we start receiving certain education and we don't have kind of like too much uh, involvement in, in, in whether questioning these, these uh, structures. So pretty much we live in a, in a world ruled by ideology because we're living in a world ruled by rationality. And we're not inviting into the party the body and definitely we're not inviting into the party the spirit. You know, when you see in most of the cases... The spirit is just the, the, the place for the spirit in the world is religion. But religion at the end is a, is a, is a, is an ideology, is a, is a, is a mental um, a structure that was built. You know, you can track it in the history and so on. So we, tend, we often says there are many religions, but there is just one spirituality. Because when you tap into the spirit, then it's not about ideology, it's not about what you do, but it's something that you have to self-realize by, by your own, how you connect to that spirit and how you start building up your life from that spirit. So definitely we live in a, in a world that is ruled by ideology and that ideology tried also to rule even the spiritual world and moreover the mental world. We, we live following patterns and often we don't even question this pattern. We think that, you know, like we live in a free society, but the reality is that we are not living in a free society. We live in a, in a society that has an ideology based and built upon the concept of freedom. But from there to like say, like we're really free, you know, that's, uh, I think that that's a totally different step. So that's why I often say like, you know, we have to like really start moving from thinking life into actual living life and we start to really starting to look for for a real freedom and not just an ideological freedom right right because if we get wrapped up in the ideologies and the mental frameworks around these 
concepts or, or, or true truisms, then they become veils. They become basically lies, right? Exactly. And then, yeah, and then it's like they become veils. And that's what I mentioned that we have a, a sixth kosha nowadays, which I call it the city Maya kosha. You know, it's kind of like we are not that humans anymore. And the yoga was created. It was it's it's a it's a it's a science that was created in order to be able to purify the self of a human. Right. But nowadays we have like these other uh, perceptions and ways to relate with reality that are not coming from our humanity are coming from an, a structure a specific structure that at some point in history we decided that should be the collective structure that everyone should follow and it is this is the the civilized uh, the civilized um, project because you know i mean uh, five six hundred years ago there was other projects you know there were the the project of the native american people you know like what you know i wonder what would it happen you know if we would have give the chance to native americans for example indigenous people to like have another 500 years of development you know i'm pretty sure they would develop a totally different uh, alternative to the kind of world that we're living today and it's not to say like when is good what is bad but definitely there are some cultures or there were some moments in human history where we were developing uh, a, a kind of evolution that was much more based in humanity but nowadays is not too much based on humanity but on mentalities again on ideologies and and these ideologies of course are based on the idea of civilization so that's why i said before we start purifying the self before we start purifying the five koshas in this case with the yoga we need to purify the six which is a civilization to move away from these mental patterns and to try to tap again into our humanity our human heart and from there then we'll be able to have a more successful journey at, at least from the yoga practice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense now what i would say kind of to play devil's advocate and i'm curious what your response to this is what would you say to someone, you hear this often, like in order to change the world at a broader scale, you have to start at the individual level. So how does, how does yoga play a role in that? If, if in this kosha system with the sixth kosha, the, the city Maya kosha, um, if we have to start from the outermost layer, how can we affect the, the civilization level without working on our own individual self? Well, you know, we, we end up into the yoga practice for several reasons. Some people are looking for uh, just for better health. Uh, but at the end, you know, I think that sooner or later we discovered that there's kind of like a revolutionary reason for, uh, for our attraction to the yoga. We all, we, all, we all are spirit. And this spirit has like the nature of wanting to provide the best, not to yourself, but to the whole world. Because at the end, the spirit is a level that is aware that we are not an individual, that everything is part of a, of a one unity, of a one cake, and that everything is interconnected. So at the end, I, I end up in the yoga practice because I've been so passionate about revolution, about like really changing the world. And I know that this is not something that, you know, like it's, it's, it's not just something related to my story. I know it clicks with many yoga practitioners. Because why? Because yeah. you, you see that you, you, are, you have the possibility and you change. You, you, actual, you actually change your life 
through this yoga practice and and the deeper you go the more impact that you can see how this yoga yoga practice can transform your life but of course this is not leading just to the individual the whole thing of the yoga is you union to articulate to unify so you start to perceive whether you're aware of not that there's a, there's a chance for an actual revolution in the in this practice. Why? Because at the end we cannot impose revolution, and this is this has been the mistake of of the history of this different revolutions. You know, it's like oh this is the way, and let's make everyone embrace this way. No, the only way we can create a revolution is if there is a space for everyone to to breathe in their own way, to perceive in their own way, to think in their own way, to love in their own way, uh, in their own way, and that's why I. I, I feel, and to me, that's why I'm so passionate about the yoga, because I, I really see that we have an option here of a respectful revolution, regardless your belief, regardless where you're coming from. Why? Because a revolution has to start with the self. You cannot change the world unless you have changed yourself. And when you change yourself, then perhaps you become like a, a motivation for others to change their life, not by imposition, but pretty much just by inspiration. I think this is the only way we can change the world. We have to change ourselves, uh, trying to create a molecular revolution, a sub-revolution, and then just out of uh, inspiration, inviting others to join us, uh, knowing that they 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 will be a space res- respect uh, to their way of living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, so. It- it's it's a non-violent non-imposed revolution because we all decide you know we all decide to do it together we all enlighten together basically you know if everybody taps into the spirit then there's no need to convince anyone of anything right absolutely and i think this is truly important in in a, in such a moment where we're seeing so much polarization in the world Especially in the States, you know, I mean, like, uh, it's sad to see that, you know, like, kind of like we are moving from being the United States of America to be the polarized states, you know, of America. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to find again a common ground, you know, regardless of our political beliefs, uh, you know, like we need to find a common ground. And I think the self and the spirit, not the religion, but the spirit could be that common ground. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you suggest for someone, apart from taking up a yoga practice, obviously, most of the listeners of this show are already doing that. But if someone is feeling very much bogged down or um, discouraged by what's happening at the civilization level, at the city Mayakosha level, what would you suggest to come back to a more spiritual level? I think we have to, you know, like whatever, if at any point we feel confusion, the best, I I think the best way is just to start all over again. And to start all over again is to go to back to the basics. And to back to the basic is just reaching for the essential stages. So, for example, in this case, you know, like kind of like the, the country is struggling with all this polarization. So what would be to go back to the basics to, 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 to look for the essence is whatever is uh, under the country and what and what is under the country it is the land and actually it's it's hard right now you know to share a country because we are struggling trying to uh, lead the country in different directions but even more essential than the country it is the land where the country was built so for example in this case 
you know, going for the land. And then, of course, as you go into the land, then you tap into the essential, which is nature. Uh, to me, nature is one of the most important things in my life. It's like when I talk about spirituality, to me, it's all about bonding back to nature, uh, learning from nature, tapping again into the into the essence of life. And nature always have always has an answer, uh, and always has a, a light to to guide us. So, to me, in this case, for example, will be you know go, go go instead of like concentrating too much in the country. Let's just find what is the the collective of this land and what is with with the nature of the country has to. Uh, say or contribute, you know, in this in this in this process of of finding back the collective path. So nature is always a great place to find great answers and 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 to tap into this essence of the self and and to tap also into the spirit. Mm-hmm. I I knew you were going to say that, and I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you did because I remember um, during the satsang, someone you. you you said this, which really stuck with me. If you ever are feeling like you have some sort of mental hurdle or emotional hurdle that you're going through, before you do anything else, before you take a pill or, or change anything about your, your diet or anything like this, go spend a few days in unfettered, unfiltered nature and see what changes. And Definitely. I think, I think there's... I mean, there's obviously some truth to that. And I think part of the reason why, though, is that we get so wrapped up in the melodrama of of politics and, and all these sorts of things. And they feel very real because they're at the forefront of the conversation. But when you go into, as you put it, the essence, what's underneath all of that, which is the land, what was there first, then it puts in perspective the things that seem real and shows that they're actually manufactured exactly exactly actually i just came back from a retreat that i do every year kind of this is kind of like my way of starting the year and the long journey of all this traveling around the world and we spent 11 days we kind of like gathered the the, the community the family and we spent 11 days in this beautiful place there's no electrical power there there are very little uh, cellular signal and just what you just said, you know, like we are all the time so upset and so worried about the world because of what we're seeing from the news. But whenever you have the chance to spend some time on nature, you know, then you realize that, you know, at the end we're breathing. At the end we're loving. At, at the end we're laughing for for the most simple things. We can have we can have this joy, you know, provided with the simplicity of like a sunrise, a sunset, uh, swimming in the ocean, whatever, and then you you are able to see, you know, what is manufactured and then what is what is real reality, you know. And we need to start rebuilding this world based on real reality and not on all upon this manufactured unreality. Mm-hmm. Well that's an that's a more positive note to to leave us on because it's true. We can always come back to that. It's it's well for now, it's here. Let's not ruin it. Let's not destroy it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Andre, apart from getting your message out on the podcast today, what are you doing to live your dharma? Well, you know, as I said before, when family comes, it's just about you know, it's a it's a it's an easy way to kind of like to fulfill and to be at constant dharma. So. Pretty much, you know, just before uh, before I uh, start this uh, interview with you, I was just 
living, uh, preparing my, my oldest to go to school. And now I have a seven month old. So, you know, just going into serious uh, diaper changing Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, pretty much when I'm when I'm not uh, teaching uh, and actually sometimes I go around the world and people say like, oh, how nice it would be if you move here and we can have access to your regular uh, practices but uh wherever i live i i never teach regular classes just to compensate that the time that i'm away and also to have of course time to to devote to to my family the responsibility of assisting these these kids to to grow up uh, so that for the rest of the day my day will is going to be here just taking care of the of the baby while the while the others come back from school and you know, just taking care of the family. I, I loved. I love being a a, a house husband. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's something that I truly enjoy. You know, and then just like cooking and you know just serving here. I think it's a it's a beautiful way. It's the most simple but beautiful way to really tap into dharma. Definitely, yeah. Sounds like a very natural way for you to upgrade karma to dharma. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, I think now is the perfect time to move into the final section of the interview. This is where things get a little interesting. I mean, it's called the Prana Round, and I'm going to ask All you right. six rapid-fire questions and ask you to answer in minimum one word or maximum one sentence. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Self-realized. What is your favorite yoga pose and why? Trikonasana, I think, is very, very complete pose. What's the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from a teacher? Let the spirit guide. Recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our listeners. Yoga Sutra. (laughs) (laughs) It's classic. (laughs) Is yoga for everyone? Definitely for everyone. Awesome. And last question, how can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma? Uh, well, I have, um, I'm not too good with, uh, with, uh, my, uh, promotion, but I have a webpage. It's, uh, innerparadise.org. Uh, you can see there the schedule where I'm going to be. Um, I also have a Instagram account, Andre Ram one, I'm not there too often, but anyway, it's there, and it can link you to the website. And um, and then just uh, once in a while, close your eyes, check your breath, go to the center of your chest, concentrate deep into the center of your chest, and then you can contact me because right there in that mysterious space, deep into the center of the, everyone's chest, there's like a, a, a connection that can... Uh, bring a instant uh, communication with every living thing beautiful beautiful well andre thank you so much for spending your morning with me chatting about all all of this good stuff i learned a lot i know that the dharma talk listeners did too and i'll just leave everyone with a reminder to release rest recharge and then prepare to apply your vitality into service thank you andre Thank you, Henry. Let the spirit rule. Hey, Dharma Talk community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, 
leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at henrywins. Otherwise, I'll speak to you next week. Keep living your dharma.